But first, if you're new with us, I just want to say how glad we are that you're here. I pray that when you come to this place that you'd feel at home and that you'd feel loved. Okay, those are our two primary concerns. And then also, obviously, that you would encounter God because we believe that God is alive and active. He's not some distant God who doesn't care about us, but instead, he speaks to us today. So I pray that if you're new and if you're returning as well, that God would speak to you tonight and that you would have an an encounter with him. All right, so do you remember the first time you ever prayed? Okay, some of you do. For me, it was probably at church or probably around the dinner table, something like that, but there's one specific time I remember back when I was about five years old. This is about the first memory I have of prayer. And and my older siblings had been watching the movie Chucky. Have you seen that before? I hate that movie. I hate all those movies. <laughs> it scares the death out of me, or scares the crap out of me. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but uh, crap. Okay, so anyway, it scares me. And uh, so I caught a glimpse of one of the scenes. And I kid you not, I'd have dreams about Chucky every single night. Like, it's those dreams where you're trying to run away, and you're like, he can't seem to run. He'd be chasing me with a knife. It was scary, scary stuff. And I would run into my parents' room and sleep with them every night, and then I'd feel better. But uh, one night, my mom asked me, she said, hey, Daniel, have you ever thought about praying about this? And I said, well, no, I haven't. My five-year-old self did not think about that, uh, but let's do it. So she prayed with me. She prayed something along the lines of, dear Lord Jesus, please help Daniel to have no bad dreams. And she would pray that with me every night from Actually, that point forward, I'm not kidding you, through high school, she still prayed it with me. She came and tucked me in in high school. Let's just leave that there. But, uh, but uh, <laughs> I never had a bad dream about Chucky again. I kid you not. It changed from that moment forward. And, and maybe that seemed silly. Maybe that was something psychological in my mind. But I like to think that God loves children. And he saw what I was going through. And he wanted to answer that prayer. When I went to him, and said, Jesus, please help me to stop being horrified in my sleep as a five-year-old. I think God cared enough to answer that prayer, and I don't have nightmares to this day, so I'm thankful for prayer. Prayer changed something in my life, and it's continued to do that since then. Uh, My mom specifically has always been someone who's turned me to prayer, and I just have seen God move in my life so many times as I've asked him to help me. All of us come in here tonight with different concepts of prayer. At a baseline level, we know that that prayer is, is talking to God or a higher being of some kind. However, I think we all have different understandings of what it looks like. For some of us, we think of prayer as a religious ritual, something you do at church or perhaps before a meal or before bed. You pray uh, perhaps a scripted prayer, and it's something you're supposed to do to keep God happy with you or something you're supposed to do as a good Christian or, or a good religious person. There's others of us who, who think of prayer as something that we do when we're in a bad spot. Like, you didn't study for that test. Well, I remember one time, my freshman year, I stayed up to like four o'clock my freshman year. I don't know why I did that, but I didn't have class till like 11. So, so I thought I could stay up all night. But one time, I had a test in Soundscapes, which isn't a hard class, but I had a test in Soundscapes, and I slept till like 11.10, and that's when my class was 11. So on the way to Soundscapes, from Norrin to Russell, I prayed, Jesus, please help me, and thank God Soundscapes is pretty easy, but uh, that actually happened a few times that year, but uh, the Lord helped me with that. Freshman year was a tough, tough time for me. I did not know how to sleep properly, but uh, you know, that's, for some of us, most of the time we talk to God is when we're in a bad spot, right? We're in a tough spot, and we need uh, our God to come through and to help us, and then I think there's a third way of praying that I think that's common, and that's perhaps to, to calm yourself down and, and, to, and to connect yourself with God. When you pray, you feel this this sense of God's presence, and it calms you, so to speak. So I think that's like the main ways that it, 
an average American prays or, or thinks of prayer. But biblically, what we see is there's really like two main shapes that prayer can take, okay? So the first shape, kind of similar to the, to the last thing I said, but it's a way that we connect with God. It's a way that we experience intimacy with him. When we pray, we sense his presence. And, and these are prayers of adoration, prayers of thanksgiving, where we just kind of proclaim who Jesus is. We, we thank him for who he is, and then we sense his presence. And that's kind of like a communion-centered prayer. We're communing with God. But then there's a second kind of prayer, and that's when we're asking God's kingdom to come to earth. We're asking God to change something. So perhaps we have cancer. Perhaps our friend's going through a tough breakup, and we're asking God, please intervene in this situation and change it. We need you to do something supernatural. And that's what we see biblically, specifically in the Psalms, which is the Bible's prayer book and, and song book. We see these prayers of, of communing with God, but then also asking him to change our situation. So those are kind of the two types of prayer that we'll talk about here over the, ne- over the next four weeks as we talk about prayer and how it can transform our lives. So this series is called Hidden. And you may wonder, what does that mean? Well, uh, we, did, uh, we decided to call this series Hidden because all prayer is a way that we try to, like, hide ourselves and the world around us in Christ. It's a way that we bring ourselves and our world under the authority of God and hide in a shelter. Prayer is a means by which the people who pray in the world that they pray for becomes more like Jesus and his kingdom So when we pray prayers of adoration of Jesus, his heart starts to get into ours. We become more like him. And in a sense, we're starting to hide ourselves in him. And when we confess our sin, which is another form of prayer, Satan's grip is broken over our lives if shame is broken and forgiveness takes that place. And Jesus begins to rule in a greater way in our hearts. And we become more like him. We hide in him. And then when we ask God to change our situations and he moves in and around us, not only are we being hidden in God, but the world around us is being hidden in God. The cloak of God's robe that just radiates with light comes over the dark spaces in our world. All prayer ultimately is foreboding towards the end when Jesus will return. The Bible tells us that Jesus will come back and he will establish his rule and reign over the whole earth. And in a sense, he's going to hide the world under his reign. That's when God's kingdom will finally come and our prayers, will, our prayers will reach their ultimate answer as all prayers trying to draw closer to God and trying to see his kingdom come. And when Jesus returns, finally that prayer will be answered and the world will be hidden in Christ. Okay, so that's why we're calling this hidden. And, and tonight we're going to have a, a, a specific message called Things Above. And all we're going to do tonight, like really, we're not going to talk about prayer that much tonight, to be honest with you, because what I want to do is build a foundation for the next three weeks to be built off of. As if we want to be a people of prayer, we have to start training our minds, because our minds are consumed with the things of this world. Our minds are consumed with so many different things we got going on. Like today, guys, I woke up at 6 o'clock, and I didn't stop running until I got here. Like I had a sermon to finish, just being honest with you. I had time to spend with Jesus. I had to do, I had to lead our staff, all this different thing, and I was just running, running, running. And today I was reminding myself of our sermon tonight because I'm like, oh, hoop, I'm not really thinking about things above. I should be doing that because I'm preaching about it, right? So if we want to be able to pray, because today I wasn't praying a whole lot, if I'm honest, not until I got here because my mind was going all over the place with all the thoughts I had. But if we're going to be able to be a people of prayer, we have to learn to train our minds to get the other stuff out and to get the things of heaven in so then we can have a vehicle through which we can pray. But if we're concerned about all the other things going on, it's going to be very difficult to connect with God. So we're going to build that foundation tonight. We're going to 
talk about what it means to, or to set our minds on things above. And, and to do that, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, okay? So in the New Testament, it's Galatians and Ephesians, and then Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy. Okay, that's the way I find my, my spot in Scripture. So anyways, if you caught that, Colossians is somewhere in there. So turn there, Colossians chapter 3. And in the book of Colossians is a letter from an early church leader named the Apostle Paul to a church in a city called Colossae. And in years before he wrote this, a Colossian man had heard Paul preaching in a city called Ephesus. And he went back to Colossae, and he started a church there. I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would go back to your homes or go to other places and start churches. I pray that you would take the kingdom with you. That's what happened in, in Colossae. A man heard the good news, and he went and started a church. It's a beautiful thing, and, and the church was growing. It was seeing God move. But then in the midst of all this, a false teaching had crept into the church, and it began to de- or destroy the health of the church. See, any teaching that's not based on Scripture, which is the Bible, is a threat to the health of a faith community. It's important to think and to believe rightly about God, and that's why we have the Bible to keep us grounded. So when Paul writes this letter, he's trying to correct this situation because he knows if this false teaching has its way, this church is going to die. And he's trying to ground them back on the basic truths of God's word so that they can grow in maturity. And just before chapter 3, Paul confronts the false teachers. In verse 8 of chapter 2, he says something along the lines of saying, don't be taken captive by, by philosophy and empty deceit that is according to human tradition and the spirits of this world and not according to Christ. Okay, so what is the false teaching? You might be wondering. Maybe you don't care. But the false teaching that the Colossians were dealing with was a teaching that said that you had to abstain from certain foods to be right with God. Okay, so that was one of them. But then another one was that you had to interact with spirits other than Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, to be right with God. So they're teaching that you had to kind of talk with, you had to worship angels and do all these weird things. So the point is, the false teaching in summary that they were facing was that people were trying to tell them that the Colossians had to focus on things other than Jesus to be saved. They either had to not eat certain foods or climb a spiritual mountain if they wanted to be saved. But Paul is saying over and over again in the first few chapters of Colossians that the only way that you experience salvation is through the grace of Jesus Christ. His cross is enough to save you, and you don't need to add anything to it. That's the point he's making. In chapter 3, which is what we're going to read, Paul makes clear that if we trust in Jesus' death and resurrection, I'll explain that later, it should cause us to be a people who are more focused on the things of heaven and less focused on the things of the world. So let's read this, and I think this is going to give us a really good foundation for prayer. It says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, and seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds on the things that are above, and not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will Appear with him in glory. All right, let's pray over this, and then I think God's got some good stuff for us. So Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us tonight. God, I pray that every single person in this room, college student, staff member, baby, there's only one, and I love her. God, I I pray that all of us would hear from you tonight. So Jesus, speak to us and have your way and make us a people of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, first point tonight is this. 
Satan wants to distract us with the things of earth. Does anyone have any idea why false teachings were so pervasive in the church at Colossae? Okay, I'm not going to call on you. Okay, you don't know. I, maybe you do. But why, just at the time that the church was growing and maturing, did some crazy teaching come into the church? I want to tell you that the false teaching was not by accident. It wasn't just something that happened. No, there was a dark spiritual force behind those false teachings. These teachings infiltrated the church at this pivotal time because an authentic move of God was happening. And we have an enemy named Satan or the devil who does not want an authentic move of God to happen, right? Colossae, for all of history before that, was not connected to God, and Satan wanted that to continue. So just at the time that they were growing, he sent a false teaching into the church to try to destroy the life of the church. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says this. It says, be sober-minded and be watchful because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And what better way to devour the church at Colossae than to distract them with wrong teachings? Satan loves to distract you. He loves to distract you and me from what's important, sometimes with bad things and sometimes with good things. In this case, it was a bad thing. False teaching is always bad. People, people were being taught that salvation comes through something other than Jesus. As the church had to focus on, on correcting these teachings, they could not focus on what's important, which is loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Instead, they're trying to clean up this teaching. I believe God wants us to know tonight that Satan is trying to kill us. And everything that you're tempted to believe in or focus on, everything that fights for your attention is not necessarily good. Every opportunity that's presented to you is not necessarily from God. Every new idea or teaching that's popular in culture is not necessarily good. Everything that the world deems as valuable is not necessarily valuable. And we especially need to remember, because these things are more tricky, that sometimes Satan tries to use good things to distract us. I believe Satan wants nothing more for your life than for you to succeed at things that don't even matter. I believe he wants nothing more for your life than you to focus all your energy and all your effort on things that don't matter. If we're focused on worldly things, then we're not going to be able to focus on heavenly things like seeking Jesus and, and prayer and, and studying his word and reaching out to our friends. If we're caught up with all the wrong things or different things, we're not going to be able to focus on the important things. And I'm guilty of this. Like last night I was watching a TV show. I'm like, dang, maybe I'm being distracted right now. So this sermon just like convicted me big time before I preach it. So just know that I'm getting convicted too along with you, all right? But back when I was in college, Bible college, mind you, I began watching the TV show called, called New Girl. Have you watched the show? Okay, I'm not judging you. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not judging you. But I was watching this with Emily. And, and if you want to watch that, great. But for me, it was just like really destroying me. And in two ways, it was destroying me. One, it was sucking up all my time. I was obsessed with it. I thought it was hilarious, and all I wanted to do was watch it. Okay, it's funny. Let's be honest about it. But two, it made me feel distant from God because the show was filled with sexual innuendos and sexual situations, and I'm not a juggernaut of purity that can just see anything and not be tempted. So I was tempted. I'll be honest with you. I would think about these things. And after getting through a season or two, I, I couldn't take it any longer. I just knew that if I was going to be intimate with Jesus, I could not watch the show. And I'm not telling you that that's what God has for you, but that was just for me. And as we stopped watching, I felt like I came up out of the water, spiritually speaking. I had been in a fog of time wasted and, 
impurity, and I finally got free of it. And it was so hard because that show was so funny. But, but feeling, feeling connected to Jesus is more important than having fun or laughing, although we can laugh, right? There's some good Christian shows out there, I think. Bible Man, anybody? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I always watch YouTube videos of, uh, of Christian songs, like, you know, worship songs, and Pure Flix always has a trailer. I'm like, nope, not going to watch it. But if you like Christian shows, you know, watch those. That's great. But anyways, back to this. Satan wants to distract us with things. Sometimes good things, sometimes bad things. So for you, it could be an obsession with your schoolwork. It could be an obsession with making money. It could be a boyfriend or girlfriend, a sports team. It could be too much entertainment, like video games or TV. I think there's a limit where God says that's enough. Like, once you get to hour eight of Netflix on a Saturday, maybe it's time to turn it off. I'm just going to be honest with you. Maybe God doesn't want us to watch that much Netflix. And I'm saying for me, continue watching. Uh, yes, keep going. I'm going to watch The Office for the 10th time this year. No. Okay, but, but you know, maybe these things are, are distractions. Have you ever wondered if Netflix is maybe a tool, you know, I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm just saying for you, maybe it's a tool from the enemy to distract you from things that matter. Maybe you're supposed to be reading your Bible, but Satan's like, I'll lure them over with Netflix. Even if you're watching uh, Christian Mingle, that's a movie on Netflix. You might want to see it. Even if you're watching that, that might be a distraction from God's word. I believe God wants us to carefully discern what we focus on and discern if, if Satan is trying to distract us. I believe we have to say no. As a generation, I believe we have to say no to the need to constantly be entertained. I had a friend in college who challenged me once. He said, what would it look like if you gave away your TV and just made a commitment to only be entertained by the Holy Spirit? That, that dude's spiritual, okay? But I'm just saying, like, what would that look like? I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit, like, dancing in front of you. I'm talking about intimacy with God, right? That's entertaining, right? When you have those moments, like, some of you went to fall retreat, and you had a moment with God. When you have those moments, you don't give a hoop about Netflix. You just want to stay at the altar and be with Jesus, so what if we did that? I haven't done that yet. I have TVs in my house, but I'm just saying, what if we did that? I say this because if we can't get our eyes off the world, we're not going to be able to develop a relationship with God, a true relationship where we seek his heart, and we're not going to be able to grow. So let me ask you tonight, what are the things that you focus on the most in life? Think about that. And do you think Satan might be using it to distract you from the things that matter? But I don't think we just need to only avoid being distracted, but also we have to be intentional about seeking heavenly things. So the second point is Jesus wants us to, or Jesus wants to consume us with the things of heaven. Before telling us to, or to not set our mind on the things of earth, Paul tells us to set our, or set our minds on things above. Okay, so what's it mean to set our mind on things above. When we set our mind on the things above or heaven, I'm not talking about space, I'm talking about heaven, okay, so it's not necessarily up there, but, but when we do that, we're focusing on who Jesus is. That's the first thing we're doing. In the Gospels, we see that Jesus is inc incredibly loving and tender, like a good mother, but at the same time, strong and bold, like a good father. It's beautiful. You can think about Jesus and just have your mind be blown. Like, if you read the gospel, you got to read scripture, though, because if you're just making Jesus up in your head, you ain't going to be thinking about him rightly. But if you read scripture and focus your eyes on who Jesus is, that's a way to set your mind on the things above. So I want to encourage you, when you worship at Chi Alpha, don't just sing whatever's on the screen. Read those words, absolutely. But think. Engage your mind. God doesn't want you just to feel emotional, but also think about who Jesus is. Like, 
An image I love to think about during worship is in Revelation, it, it talks of Jesus as a man who has fire in his eyes. I love to picture him with fire in his eyes, that passion and that love. I love to think about that. And that's why sometimes you might see me jumping. Like today I was jumping. Like fill me up, got me going. I'm sorry, guys. But the uh, point is think about who Jesus is. Set your mind on Jesus. But I also, I don't think we just think about Jesus, but I also think we think about where he is. And he's in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God. Okay, so God's on a throne and Jesus is seated at his right hand. He's in control. He's over it all. So when we set our minds on the things above, we think about what heaven is like, and we're driven to awe at the fact that Jesus is, is in control. He's over it all. So seeking things above means making a concentrated effort to not be consumed by this world, but to be consumed with heaven. Okay, so Romans chapter 12, Paul says this. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern, discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and Verse 5, he says something, or something similar. He says, we demolish arguments and, and every pretension that it sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to God. This is what it means to set our mind on things above. We continually conform our thought patterns to God's thoughts, and we take thoughts that are not from God captive. And we can do this by simply recognizing when our thoughts are from God, when they're from Satan, or when they're from ourselves. Okay, and that takes some discernment. But God's voice is always in line with Scripture, and it's always peaceful. It's not hurried or rushed. It's peaceful. It's gentle. Satan's voice is very hurried and anxious. It's accusatory. That's Satan's voice. So if you're feeling anxious or, or hurried or accused, that's not God. If you're feeling shameful, that's not God. That's Satan. You need to take that thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. But then also there's our own thoughts, which are typically very self-centered, and a lot of times they're driven by fear, okay, because we're prone to fear. We just fear everything. At least I do. So if I have a thought that's fearful, most of the time I say, that's probably from me. That's not from God. God doesn't want me to be scared. Okay, we can also do this by saturating our minds with Scripture. So in order for that to happen, we have to make a commitment. I just want to make a commitment as a community. If you call Kyle of a home that every Kyle of a student reads the Bible daily, because we want to be people who are saturated with Scripture. Okay, that's the second way to or to seek your mind on things above. But then a third way is to pray, which we're talking about in this series. So I share all this to say that if we want to be a people of prayer, we have to get our thought life in order. And I know y'all because I, I'm your pastor, and I know that a lot of us are anxious, including myself a lot of times, and Satan loves to have his way in our thought life. But I think we need to make a commitment. It starts with a commitment. You're not going to figure it out tonight. But I think Jesus wants us to make a commitment to start taking thoughts captive and to not let our thoughts have their way. Our thoughts and feelings are not always truth. Sometimes they're from the devil. Sometimes they're from us. And we need to be diligent about taking thoughts captive, grabbing them, and making them obedient to Christ. But again, the only way to do that is to know Scripture. That's the only way you can recognize that. So I just want to encourage you towards that. i got to be honest with you all. I struggle with setting my mind on things above. Every morning, I dedicate my first hour or so, if Jane allows me to, to spend time reading Scripture and praying. She's been getting up like 5.30 lately, so it hasn't been happening. But, uh, I, but I do it at a different time, okay? So anyways, at a different time of the day, I read and I pray. But I struggle with getting distracted. If my phone is with me, I'm going to look at Facebook. I have a problem, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. Newsfeed, newsfeed, don't care about that, don't care about that. But I keep looking. I don't know why. 
So I have to be intentional and leave my phone in the other room. If I have a big to-do list that day or things to do, I have to keep, uh, well, sometimes I keep my phone next to me so I can write down my to-do list as I think of it. Like, oh, I got to do that. I got to do that. I got to do that. So I write it down because if I know or if my mind is thinking about things I need to do, I can't focus on Jesus. So the point is we have to do intentional things like that to be able to focus on Jesus and set our minds on him. So anyways, getting our minds focused on things above is absolutely necessary for prayer. As we think about Jesus, as we set our mind on him and think about how beautiful he is, it's naturally going to roll over into prayer. Because you're just meditating on him. You're going to want to pray. You're like, wow, Jesus, you're so beautiful. You're so strong. You're worthy. It's going to roll up into prayer. And when you think about where Jesus is and that he's seated at the right hand of God, and, and you're thinking about that, all of a sudden you start taking your bad situations in your life and putting them under his authority and saying, Jesus, your kingdom come in this situation. I pray that you would change it because this does not line up with your will, and I want you to change it. I believe all prayer starts with setting our minds on things above because when we do that, it's going to roll up into prayer, okay? But the question, the question remains, how is prayer even possible? If we're on earth and Jesus is in heaven, if he's perfect and we're imperfect, how can we talk to him? Well, I'm glad you asked because Paul answered that question. Point three, I believe Paul is saying, or saying we can be consumed with heaven because we've died to our old life. Paul explains that each of us can set our minds on things above. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith in him, you can set your mind on things above because you have died with Christ and your life is hidden in God. It says this in verse 3. It says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Dying with Christ is really loaded and it means a ton of things and that would be a three-hour sermon. So I'm not going to focus on everything that that means, but I want to kind of pinpoint one thing that that means. When Paul says that, or when Paul says we've died with Christ, he's saying that, that when we trust in Jesus and his death and his resurrection, then we die with him to our old lives. Okay, so in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. So Paul wasn't actually crucified at this point, but he's saying when he put his faith in Jesus, he was crucified with Christ. It's, or it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live, or I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Dying with Christ enables us to seek the things that are above because when we die with Christ, the barrier between us and God is removed. Jesus' death on the cross enables us to be forgiven for our sins and the gap between us and God is bridged. Our sin no longer prevents us from being separated from him. So if you're a follower of Jesus, and when you sin, you go and hide from God, you're doing it wrong. Because Jesus already paid for it. Your sin does not separate you relationally with God because Jesus already paid for it. And you already died with Christ when you put your faith in him. You are already crucified with Christ. So your sin has already been paid for, and your old life is gone. And with sin out of the way, we have access to God in relationship, when Jesus forgives you, he gives you access to God in relationship, no matter how well you're doing that day. And you get access to the things of heaven. Forgiveness enables access. Okay, so if you've prayed a prayer at Chi Alpha at the end of service, when we say, hey, if you want to put your faith in Christ, raise your hand, that means you have access to God. That means you can talk to him, you can approach him, and he'll hear your prayers. Heaven is no longer far off for you. Instead, you can come to God right now and experience 
heavenly realities. And your old life died with, or died with Jesus on the cross. If your old life and all its sin is gone, there's nothing holding you back from running to Jesus in prayer. Hebrews chapter 4 says this. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And the high priest is, is Jesus. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Okay, this verse, get it. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. So it's not just approach God's throne when you feel good that day. No, it says approach his throne because you need grace and mercy in your help or in your time of need. You need that mercy and that grace. So if you're struggling, get your butt to the throne of grace. Don't sit and hide and say, oh, God's mad at me. No, God poured out all his wrath on Jesus on the cross. That gap has been bridged. So if you're a follower of Christ, you have access to God no matter what. Yes, go and say, hey, God, I messed up. Can you forgive me? And then start praying. And that is prayer, by the way. But this passage says that Jesus is our high priest. So a priest is someone who pleads the case of another to God. And because Jesus lived the human life perfectly and died for our sins, he can faithfully plead your case to God. So I'm not a priest, I'm a pastor. But I can't plead your case that well to God because I'm not Jesus, I didn't live perfectly, and I didn't die for you. But Jesus is a great high priest. You can go to him and he can have God's ear and say, hey, I already paid for Aaron Manning's sins, so listen to this guy. I'm sorry, Aaron Manning. You're a beautiful man. But uh, <laughs> Jesus understands what you're going through, too. Jesus is the perfect high priest to bring your request to God. He sits at God's right hand, and he intercedes for you. So with that in mind that Jesus is pleading your case, James 4, 8 comes into play. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The gap has been bridged. Jesus is pleading your case, and he wins that, right? Like Jesus doesn't lose, right? So when he pleads your case, he wins. So now, draw near to God with confidence and know that he's going to draw near to you. Forgiveness enables access. Paul then goes on to say that, we say we're hidden with Christ. And, and when he says that, he means that, that we have complete security in Jesus. There's no fear of punishment anymore. But instead, our sins have been covered. And we're hidden in him. So if you came in here tonight, and you haven't been praying because you feel guilty about your sin, I want to encourage you, if you put your faith in Jesus, you have access. And your old life is gone, and the new life has come. And you don't need to wait a certain amount of time to talk to God again. But instead, boldly approach his throne every single day, knowing that Jesus already paid for it all. Don't even have a doubt about it. God is looking for people who will boldly approach him and understand that it's not about us, it's about what he did. Jesus has already paid it. All right, but there's one more reason why Paul says that, there's one more reason why Paul says we can pray and seek things above. He says this. Well, he doesn't say it this way, but I said it this way. We can be consumed with heaven because, or because we've been raised to new life. Okay, so we don't only seek the things that are above because we've died to the old self, but also because we've been risen to a new self. It's a heavenly self. In Colossians 3, verse 1, it says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. When Paul says we've been raised with Christ, he's saying that Every person who has put their faith in Jesus has become a new creation. 
And the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. We live in a totally new realm. And we have a heavenly identity. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Come on, somebody. That's good news. The new has come. Okay, so I don't care what your old life was like or even what your life was like 10 seconds ago. If you put your faith in Jesus, the new has come. You are a new creature. You are, or you have a heavenly identity, and your home is in heaven now. Our old self is dead and gone. Our identity is no longer a sinner, but it's a son or daughter of God, and we have all the rights of a son or daughter. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So you're not just new, but God lives in you. If we're a new creation and God lives in us, then we should be freed up to seek heavenly things. It should be natural for us. So how many of you like Spider-Man? You're like, okay, me? I'm just thankful that he's still in the Marvel cin or Cinematic Universe. Praise Jesus. I fasted about that one. That's one time I fasted in my life. No, I'm kidding. I didn't fast. But uh, I'm glad he stayed. But before Peter Parker was bit by a spider, he was a normal boy living a normal life. Besides Uncle Ben. That was sad. But actually, that happened after Spider-Man. But anyways, I think after he got bit. But after being bit by the spider and becoming Spider-Man, his life became totally different. And he spent most of his time from that point forward helping Tony Stark or calling Sonny and protecting his neighborhood from, from criminals. In the same way, when you become a follower of Jesus, you get bit by the spider of the Holy Spirit, somebody come on, and you're welcomed into a completely new identity. The old life is gone. And that's a problem in your thought life because I think there's a lot of people here who are Christians, but you think you're still in the old life. Because of your performance. But God says, I put a new heart in you. I put a new spirit in you. And it goes back to taking our thoughts captive and saying, no, I am a new creation. The old is gone. I've died with Christ. But because we don't take our thoughts captive, we can't seek God in prayer. Because we don't tell ourselves, hey, we are a new creation full of the Holy Spirit. We don't pray. Which then cripples us in our faith. God wants some sons and daughters to rise up in this place and know their identity in him and know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And if we know that, if we take our thoughts captive and know that, then we're going to be a people of prayer who boldly approach his throne with confidence every single day. Not think about the thing we did that day, but think about who Jesus is and what he did. God's looking for some people who know who they are. I believe that in this place. There's too many Christians who don't know who they are. They just think they're religious or they go to prayer or church once a week. But no, we need to know that God calls us sons and daughters. He's called, or he calls us people full of the Holy Spirit. Heaven is our reality. Heaven is our home now. So prayer should become our instinct. Because that's where we live is with God. But again, we got to take those thoughts captive. I believe God wants us to stop focusing on the things of earth where our old life is but instead focus on the things of heaven where the new identity is. I believe God wants us to make prayer our primary concern because prayer connects us with home. It connects us with our true reality where we truly belong. If you have truly trusted Christ with your life, know that heaven is your inheritance. And life with God is your right. We talk about rights. That's your right if you are in Christ. Life with God, relationship with him. 
being with him is natural to who you are at this point because you're a new creation and the Holy Spirit lives in you. I believe some of you came in here tonight and you're a Christian, but you believe that prayer is only for the uber spiritual ones. And you believe it's something that you couldn't jump into because you're not as good as the person over there. They raise their hands and worship and dang, they can sing. Just saying somebody. And you think that's for other people, but, but that's a lie from Satan. And we need to recognize that. We need to stop letting Satan tell us lies and say, yeah, you're right, Satan, you're smart. Instead say, no, you're an idiot, that's a lie. Prayer is your inheritance. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have died to your old life and you've been risen to a new one and prayer is your new language. It's who you are. All you must do is draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Over the next three weeks, we're gonna get into the practicals of this. I'm gonna teach you how to pray, all that kind of stuff. You know, the disciples only asked Jesus one question. They said, hey, teach us to pray. Okay, so we're gonna look at that next week. But I wanna give you two practical things tonight, just two really quick things. One, I wanna encourage you over the next week to do, actually, I'm gonna add one thing. So go to morning prayer. That's a side note, because it's fun. But that's a side note. But here's two things to do throughout the week. I wanna encourage you to spend 15 minutes a day in complete solitude and, or solitude and silence. And I know it's hard on campus, but try to find a place. I think there's a creepy room in the union you could find somewhere called the meditation room or something. I don't know, but there's somewhere you could go. Find a place of solitude. And for 15 minutes, just think about Jesus and let that roll up into prayer. Begin to tell him what you love about him. Thank him for what he's done for you. And then let it go into some request time too where you ask him, Jesus, can you do this in my life? Can you change this? I'm struggling with this addiction. I'm struggling with this relationship. I feel really greedy. I'm angry all the time. You just start to ask him to change you and spend 15 minutes. That's all I'm asking for you. And the second thing I want you to do is if you have a smartphone, which I think most of you do, set a reminder on your phone for every hour on the hour. And when that goes off, you don't have the sound go off because you're being in class, but just buzz a little bit. Spend five seconds acknowledging Jesus. You don't have to pray a long prayer. You don't have to say, okay, or get my tie on and, and pray this big prayer. No, you say, Jesus, I'm thankful that you're here with me right now as I'm in this boring class. And that's all you gotta do, five seconds, right? I believe if you do this, you're gonna start to see your life change. Just acknowledging his presence. You know, you can take it a step further and when you commute and you're driving in your car, say, I'm not listening to music or talk radio or, or nothing like that, but I'm just gonna be silent or put on some instrumental music and just pray. But it takes being intentional. If we're not intentional, Satan's gonna have his way with us. Guys, we're not stronger than Satan on our own. We need to be intentional. We can't just like drift and hope everything works out. And we have to be intentional and set these guardrails up in our lives that encourage us towards prayer. All right, so the main idea tonight is this. Prayer is our inheritance. If you came in here tonight and you're a Christian, but you feel like you fall short in the area of prayer, I just wanna encourage you for a few moments. Prayer is your right, it's your inheritance. Being in relationship with God is what you were made for. In the very beginning of time, before we sinned, God used to walk with man, it says in the garden in the cool of day, there's the garden of Eden, he would walk with man like face to face and talk with him. Like just as real as I'm looking at you right now, like, like talking face to face, God would talk with him. When Jesus, died on the cross and rose from the grave, he made this type of relationship available again. And obviously we're not gonna talk to God face to face. That won't happen until the end. But, but this level of intimacy, I believe is available to us now. I, I believe few attain it because we're so distracted, but I believe it's available. This intimacy where you can talk to God as one talks to a friend, where you could go out for coffee with Jesus. Like I'm gonna, 
I'm going to be honest with you. Tonight I had Burger King, okay, confession of sin before service. And I sat with Jesus and I talked to him. I didn't talk at Burger King out loud, but I sat and, and thought about him and talked to him. And read my Bible. You can do that. You can spend time with Jesus like that. You can speak to him. He'll speak back to you. I believe that, that God is, is calling us to step into this kind of intimacy. If you want to grow in your faith, the key is becoming a person of prayer. If you want to be the man or woman that God has called you to be, and he's got big dreams for you. It's a big old plan. If you want to be that man or woman, then I believe you've got to step into prayer. You've got to stop being distracted by the, by the things of earth and instead fix your eyes heavenward. If you want this campus to be more like heaven, you're going to have to pray, right? There's some spiritual forces that I believe God calls us to contend with on our campus. And we'll talk about contending in week three, so come ready for that. It's going to be like battle. But uh, I'm excited for that, but uh, we're not going to battle the campus, but battle, you know, the dark forces in prayer, right? So if you want the campus to be like heaven, you've got to start praying, guys. We've got to pray. That's why we do morning prayer. That's our time of, of contending for our campus. I believe God is calling you to make intentional changes now and to start setting aside time to seek his presence. If you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to speak to you as well. I explained what Jesus did on the cross. When, when Jesus died, he bridged the gap between you and God. Your sin separates you from him, but when Jesus went up on that cross, he paid your debt. He, he paid your penalty. It's like you're a criminal, so to speak. You've committed a crime, but Jesus paid the penalty. So now, in Romans 10, it tells us that all we have to do to be saved and forgiven is confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. That's all we gotta do is trust in him and say, Jesus, I accept that sacrifice and I want you to live inside of me. I want the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of me. And if that creeps you out, just ask him to do it. It's beautiful. Okay, the Holy Spirit, when he comes inside and lives in you, it's the most amazing thing that could ever happen to you. And you'll truly start to walk in what you're created to walk in, which is that intimacy with God that we talked about in the very beginning where you walk with him every single day. All right, so stand with me. We're gonna close. I believe that God is desperate for his people to be a people of prayer, a people who don't get distracted by the things of the world, but instead fix their eyes on him. If we can do this, we're gonna become the men and women that God calls us to be, and this campus is gonna look more like heaven. So bow your heads and close your eyes. I just wanna pray for you before we close. And every week at Kyle, if I give two ways to respond, I just believe it's important to respond. That's why we have this banner that says respond. We believe that, that God doesn't want us just to hear some things and then go out from here the same way, but instead he wants us to respond and to be changed. So the first way to respond is if you came in here tonight and if you're honest with yourself, you're not walking in right relationship with Jesus, I believe God wants to invite you into relationship with him. And again, all it takes is just saying, God, I trust you, Jesus, I trust you, I trust what you did. So the way we're gonna do that is just bow your heads and close your eyes quick and I'm gonna just give you a chance to raise your hand to God and just say, hey, Jesus, I wanna be your, well, God, I wanna be your son and daughter son or daughter. I want to be your friend. I want to walk in relationship with you. That's all it is. It's simple. All right, so if that's you, count on the three, and when I do, slip up your hand. So one, two, three, slip them up all across the room. Stay hands, stay hands, stay hands, stay hands. Tons of people. All right, so I just believe right now, I'm going to pray a simple prayer, and you pray in your heart. I believe God's going to just kind of take you by the hand and begin to walk in relationship with you. It's going to be beautiful. So let's pray that. So Jesus, right now, I just ask you to see all the hands that went up in this room that are asking you to be their savior. And God, I pray that each person would walk out of here in, in relationship with you. I believe that each person, so to speak, could, or could walk out kind of holding your hand and, and 
walking with you in relationship. God, I pray that that would happen right now. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and make your home in our hearts. God, Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you. All right, so one more way to respond. If you're here and you're a Christian and you just acknowledge tonight that, that you don't think you're where you need to be with prayer and you just want to kind of say to God, hey, God, I need help with prayer because that's, you know, that's one of the greatest prayers you can pray, saying, God, I'm humbling myself. I need help. Please help me. So if that's you, can you just lift up your hand to heaven right now? And I'm going to pray for you. So Jesus, you see the hands right now. And God, all we're saying right now is we need help. There are so many things to be, or to be distracted by in our world. And we desperately need your help to fix our eyes on the things above. So Holy Spirit, come in, transform us, renew our minds, and do a new thing in us. All right, God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.